So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn to Luke chapter 1 as we do this little dance here, trying to get set up. Uh, and in Luke 1, there are uh, two announcements of um, miraculous births. If you were with us last week, um, Gabriel, the same angel that we just heard about, uh, came to Zechariah while he was in the temple. Um, and he uh, told him that, that his wife, Elizabeth, who uh, he wisely said was advanced in years, um, instead of calling her old, um, uh, he was told that, that she was going to have a son. And the son would be John, who we know as John the Baptist. So we see uh, that Luke is uh, putting these, these two parallels here, these miraculous births together. Um, and, and there are um, ways that they uh, definitely compare, but there are also contrasts that are great. And, and the point is uh, so that we see uh, the greatness of Jesus in those contrasts, that we understand, um, yes, both births were miraculous, um, but Jesus was even greater. Um, one reason is uh, because Mary's a virgin. Right? And, and we know, we understand, it's not possible to get pregnant um, when you are a virgin. Um, and, and the second is in this conception, God is, is taking deity and humanity and uniting them together in Jesus, because that's what we needed. So let's jump into our passage, Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And I want to stop right there. Gabriel was sent from God. This story, really every story, is first and foremost about God. Christmas is about God because it's God who initiated. It's God who intervened into our broken world. It's God who sent not only his son into the world, but even last week we see that he sent Gabriel just to tell Zechariah about John the Baptist, who he sent to prepare hearts so that they would be ready to hear of Jesus. So they'd be ready to receive Jesus as Lord. And now Gabriel is sent to make this announcement to Mary that the Son of God, will be conceived in her, that she would give birth to the Christ. So God is the centerpiece of Christmas. Our culture would like to distract us from, from Jesus being the center of the Christmas story. And really, um, we help uh, distract ourselves. We don't even need our culture. It's easy for us to make Christmas about presents. It's easy for us to make Christmas about family time, about traditions, about rest, about the end of the year, whatever. And all those things are okay. Those things aren't bad in, in the appropriate doses. But we must remember that, that this story is actually about God. It's God who's intervened into our broken world even before Jesus was born. We see God at work. Even in last week's story, we see that, that God sent Jesus, but even before Jesus, he sent John to prepare the way so that hearts would be ready to receive Christ as Lord, their needed Savior. Now, sending an angel is shocking. I talked about this last week. I won't talk about it quite as much, but sending an angel is not an everyday thing in the Bible. I, I think that um, if you've read through the Bible, we, we kind of think, man, angels are probably popping up every other chapter. That's just not the case. Um, I, even just if you take just the word angel, um, it, it only appears in 23 of the 66 books from what I counted. I might be off by one or two. Um, so that's just mentioning angels, let alone angels appearing. So this isn't an everyday thing. 
uh, Gabriel, we see him come to Mary. We saw him last week come to Zechariah. The last time we see Gabriel is in the book of Daniel. He comes and he tells Daniel, your prayers for Israel, they've been heard, and God is going to answer them. God will save his people. He's going to send his Savior. So the, the rarity of sending an angel here, and this this angel in particular, because Gabriel only shows up in Daniel and in Luke. Those are the only times he's named. People argue that he's in these other places too, but I don't know how they make those arguments because this is when we're told this is Gabriel. So the, the rarity tells us that this matters, that this is really significant, that God is getting our attention here. And we see God do um, things like this from time to time in Scripture, that he will not only do something, but he's going to announce what he's doing. And I think it's I think it's so we're clear, so that we understand how God is acting here, what he's doing in, in, in the story. Because so, otherwise, um, we're good at attributing our own ideas, and sometimes our ideas are way, way off. And God doesn't want us to get this wrong. He wants us to know that the rescuer who has been promised is coming. So he says that, that he sends, uh, that God's sending Gabriel, and then he says something surprising. He says, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And Nazareth is, uh, it, it's a nothing little town. It'd be like God sending an angel to Carson, Washington, okay? Like you don't, you go to Carson if you want to go to Carson. You don't, you don't travel through Carson to get somewhere major. I guess there's a snow park up above Carson, actually. But for the most part, if you're going to Carson, it's because you want to go to Carson. Nazareth, they guess, at the time had about 200 people when Jesus lived there. It was off the beaten path. Nobody, nobody spent the weekend in Nazareth vacationing, right? This is not a destination. There was even a saying about Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So this isn't where you would even expect an angel to be sent if an angel is going to be sent. Verse 27, this angel was sent to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So um, we know a few things about Mary. We know, one, that she's a virgin, um, which is obviously really important for us to understand uh, the, the conception here was not by normal human means. We know that she was young. We don't know her exact age, but um, the average age for betrothal uh, then was somewhere between 12 and 13, right? So she could have been like a seventh grader, okay? Now, maybe she was a little older than that, but, but she, was, she was most likely young. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph. We know that Joseph... Uh, was from the line of David. That is significant. Joseph wasn't special. Mary wasn't special. They were dirt poor. Um, and, and their betrothal is a big, big deal. Right? It's not like our engagement today. Uh, an, an engagement today can be broken. And while maybe, that, maybe it's a little embarrassing, um, I, I think a lot of people go, oh, Good, good, that's a good decision. I'm glad this happened now. A betrothal, if that was broken, it, it was it, it's like getting divorced today, right? It's a it's a big, big deal. We know that uh, Mary was incredibly mature, uh, really for any age, and we'll see that by her response later. Uh, Kent Hughes, um, pastor, he's written multiple commentaries. He says uh, Mary was a nobody 
from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Mary was not chosen because she was great. Her, uh, her lineage is, is solid, but it's not remarkable. Uh, it's not like she was from the royal family. She wasn't from even a, a religiously prominent family. Um, she, was, she was a nobody. She wasn't chosen because she was from a really important place. She wasn't chosen uh, because, because Joseph was going to be this great, great man. She was chosen by God's grace and God's grace alone. And I think this is a really uh, important gospel truth for us to get, that we're chosen by God's grace. It's not because it's not because we're uh, really important. It's not because um, God looked at you and thought, oh, that one has promise, right? Any promise that we have that God sees, it's because he gave it to us, right? So um, my family this year, my kids, they wanted to uh, buy Christmas presents for one another and, and they wanted to do it like Secret Santa style, right? So they drew names. Um, each kid got a name. We went to Target all together at the same time because that's better for mom and dad. Um, and the big kids went off on their own to buy presents, right? And then Lynn's had one of our littles. I had the other little. Um, and we're going around. We're trying to be sneaky and we're hiding presents when we pass by a family member. Um, but my kids weren't really buying presents. They were choosing presents, right? Mom and dad still bought them, okay? They didn't, even if I gave them the money, mom and dad are footing the bill. And, and that's what it's like with God, right? Anything that we have, it's because God gave it to us. Anything we bring to the table is because God has supplied it. So Mary was chosen by grace, just like you and I are chosen by God's grace and his grace alone. Everything that we have in Jesus is because of Jesus, including him opening our eyes to understanding the truth of the gospel. He, he didn't choose you because you were something great or because you showed promise. Let's look at the greeting here in the next verse 28. He came to her, it's the angel Gabriel, and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, greetings could mean greetings right? Like a, like a salutation. Um, or another possible use of, of this word, it could mean rejoice. And, and I've read arguments back and forth. I'm not sure which it is, but certainly there's, there's joy to be had in this news that's coming. It reminds me of uh, uh, one of the passages that Don and Liberta read last week in our Advent reading, Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will, be, he will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing. I don't know if it's greeting. I don't know if it's rejoice. I do know that there is much joy to be had if you know Jesus. If you have been saved by Christ from your sin, really, even in the middle of terrible circumstances, even in the midst of the worst pain, suffering that you've been through, you still 
know Jesus. You're in this union with Christ. Those things are temporary. Our salvation is not. Everything that we have in Jesus is eternal. Favored one is clear. This does mean God's grace is on you when he says that to her. And one thing that this points to is the special, absolutely unique role that Mary had in, um, in the history of salvation, right? That Mary was, was chosen to carry the Christ in her womb, to give birth to the Christ, to raise Jesus. No one else had this role before her. No one else will ever have this role again. Now, it's not unique um, in the sense that we should worship her uh, uh, because it, it was just by grace that she has been chosen, but I do think it's appropriate for us to marvel at what the Lord did here in, in choosing the Virgin Mary to carry the Son of God. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And I, I love the, the way that Luke wrote that, that she tried to discern, that, that she heard what the angel said, and, and she's, she's trying to understand here, okay, what does this mean? She isn't jumping to a conclusion about what this means. Um, I, I get nervous when we rush to judgment uh, about what God's doing or what he has done or how he works. Um, none of us like it when, when someone rushes to judgment about us. Right? Like if I do something and someone interprets that in some way that, that, that is, uh, that's not good, that's judging me, they're, they're assuming things, I hate that. But why, why, do we, why do we do that with the Lord? Why is that acceptable with the Lord? And I hear things... Over the years, I hear uh, people say, well, if God works that way, or, or if God did that, then I don't want anything to do with him. And um, obviously, I can't tell you how to live, uh, but I would say that, that that isn't wise. Whatever God does, whatever way he does it, in everything, um, we'll see someday how good how wise, how, how perfect, how beautiful, how brilliant his, uh, his plan, his, his actions were. Uh, we'll be humbled at that point, I think. And, and we'll, if we can speak, we'll say something like, Lord, I, I did not understand. I didn't know what I was saying. I, I thought that I had a picture of what was going on, but clearly I knew very little. I had no idea how good you were when you did that thing that I questioned. So I, I, love, I love that Mary and, and that Luke records for us that she was trying to discern what's happening. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
There's no reason for her to be afraid because God's grace is on her. And if you know Jesus, there's no reason for you to be afraid because God's grace is on you. So who is this son? She's told this will be the son of the Most High. So if this is God's son, the baby will be God, right? If, if I told you my dog, I don't even have a dog, but if I told you my dog was pregnant, you wouldn't wonder what kind of baby animal was coming out, right? It's going to be a baby dog, a puppy. If I told you my cat was pregnant, you would know it's going to be a kitten. The son of God, the son of the most high is God. He says, you'll conceive and bear a son, and his name is to be Jesus, and the name Jesus means Savior. He will be the Savior. That is who he is. This is the promised Messiah. And I think that, uh, at least I forget, maybe you forget as well, how long they were waiting for this promise. It wasn't just decades or even centuries, but millennia they were waiting, and God was sending his son. She's told that he will be the king on the throne of David forever, meaning no end to his kingdom. There would be no end of his grace, no end of his saving work, no end of his love, no end of his protection, no end of his promise, no end of his hope, no end of his peace, because Jesus would reign forever. He would be the king. Now, we, um, we're not really into kings, Right? We uh, like democracy, and I think there's a good reason we like democracy. Uh, kings to us, that, that's, that's dated, that's antiquated. Um, we think really everyone, every country should, should be run by a democracy. And why? Well, because we know that no one person is good enough to have all the power. Right? We, we get that. Even people that don't believe in, in the Bible get that no one person is good enough to have all the power. So we want the power distributed among many leaders because to some degree, everyone is corrupt. Everyone has been touched by sin, has been marred by sin. Now, God warned Israel because they, they wanted a king. Right? They, they, they said, they looked around, they saw the, the other nations had kings, and they said, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And he warned them, I'll give you a king, but it's not going to be what you think it'll be like. Right? This king is not going to treat you the way you think he will. And even Israel's best kings, they fell so incredibly short of the king that they longed for, but God promised that there would one day be that good, righteous king that loved his people. And looking at Israel's history, I'm sure, I'm sure that felt impossible to many of them. But Jesus is that king. He's the one that every other king should have been like, but they couldn't be. He's the only king worth giving allegiance to. Verse 34 Mary hears all this, and, and she said to the angel, she said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And, and you know, following God is filled with mystery. If you are not okay with at least some degree of mystery, following, following God is, is hard. But she asked this question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You might remember if you were here last week or if you've read Luke 1 before, Zechariah has a question too. He says something along the lines of, how will I know this? 
And Zechariah gets rebuked. There's, there's a punishment for his question, right? The, the angel says, okay, you're going to be mute. You're going to be mute for the whole pregnancy. But, but Mary here, we'll see in a moment, she isn't rebuked. Right? She, she, she doesn't ask, how will I know this? Or what I think he's asking there is, I need some proof. You've you got to prove this to me. She says, I don't understand. And, and I think that's a fine question to ask the Lord. I think, I think we can say, God, my world's falling apart here. I don't understand where you even are in this. I don't understand how you're going to bring about good in this. I think it's okay to ask the question, I don't understand. Because we can trust even though we don't understand. And we, we have to do this in life, right? We do this with, with people, right? Like, I do this with my mechanic. I don't understand, but I trust him, right? I do this with my doctor. I don't understand, but I, I trust you. I do this, unfortunately, with my financial advisor. I don't understand some of those words you just said, but I trust you. We, we do this. We know that, that this, it's actually necessary. We need to do this with the Lord, too. Say, I, I don't understand, and yet I'm filled with belief, Lord. I trust in you. So verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I don't know the answer that she was hoping for, uh, this answer uh, is good, it's right, it's true, it feels functional to me as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that Mary heard that and had way more questions. Like, the Holy Spirit would come upon me? What does that mean? What will, that, will I feel it? The power of the Most High will overshadow me? That sounds scary. A child will be called Holy Son of God. My guess is her mind was filled with questions, but fortunately he kept going. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Like I said, Zechariah got, uh, got a, a sign, I guess. Uh, that, that what Gabriel said was going to come true. He was mute. He could not talk. And here, uh, Mary's given a sign also. Your, your relative Elizabeth, who was old, her husband's old, she was barren. She's six months pregnant. Now, if I was Mary, I might think, well, okay, yeah, Elizabeth was pretty old. She's barren. Her husband's old. But she had something going for her that I don't. Right? She, had, uh, she has a husband, right? I'm a virgin. I haven't slept with anyone. I don't know that, that Mary thought that, but that's what I would think. Gabriel gives her the ultimate assurance. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. And I just wonder throughout this week how many times some of us might need to say that. Nothing will be impossible with God. Genesis 18, 14 is anything too hard for the Lord? Job 42, 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So he answers the question, and he's, he's telling her who this God is, what he's like, the power that he has. This is God, the eternal one, the creator who spoke everything into existence out of nothing. God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. God is sovereign. He's in control. And, and I, I know that um, maybe for you, hearing that God is sovereign, that he's in control, is not appealing to you at times. Imagine that God is that way. Understand that he works that way. Let me share with you when it's really appealing to me. It's really appealing to me that God's in control when I don't understand life. When, when, I, when I can't see why, why something happens the way it does or doesn't happen the way I think it should. Uh, I'm comforted that God is sovereign when it seems to me as I look around the world like evil is winning or when I can't influence life to work the way I want it to. When I realize that I have little or really no control over life circumstances, it brings me great comfort to know that God is sovereign that he's in control, he's not shaken, that nothing happens without him, that he is over all things, that he's working everything for good. And I praise God that his definition, his understanding of good is so much better than mine. Because we know that life is just hard. Right? Like Even if you're in a season, or maybe you feel like, man, my, my whole life, it really hasn't been hard. Life gets hard. But life is really, really hard. And I think we get fooled sometimes. I think we, we have this belief that life shouldn't be hard. And, and maybe it's because we look at other people and it looks like, man, they've got it all together. I, I've been doing church ministry for almost 20 years now. And I've sat in a lot of rooms with people that, that to me, it looked like their life was great. And then they want to get together and talk to me and then the tears just start flowing, and I hear stuff that I had no idea was happening in their lives. No clue was happening in their worlds. And then they, they leave, and, and what do you do? you, you got to get it together, right? And not even because you're trying to fool people, but it's just the only way sometimes that you can keep moving forward is to put a smile on your face. Life is hard, and I'm so grateful that God is in control. And God loves to demonstrate that he can do anything. And we could talk about any number of places in the Bible where, where he shows us that he can do anything he wants, right? That, that he's not limited by us or by circumstances. I always, I've always connected with the story of Moses. And God come to Moses and, and telling him, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going you're gonna to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to get my people out of Egypt. And Moses comes up with these excuses like, I, God, I, I can't talk. I'm not good in front of people. I can't do this. And yet God uses him anyway. I think of Gideon. Gideon, Gideon and his men, there are 32,000 of them. They're outnumbered. I think it was four to one against this army that they were going to come up against. And God says, no, you have too many people. If I let you fight this fight with 32,000, you guys are going to think that you did this. I'm going to shrink this number down. He shrinks the number down to 300 so that he can demonstrate his power. Right? We remember the Israelites fleeing Egypt and, and dead ending into the Red Sea. 
and, and here come the Egyptians and they're trapped and God opens up the water so that they can get through and pass by safely. We remember Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a kid's lunch, right? Or, or when he calmed the storm or, or healed the lame or, or brought sight to the blind. Last week, it's Elizabeth who was barren and, and now she's pregnant. And now Mary's told the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Even though you're a virgin, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You're going to conceive the Savior in your womb because nothing is impossible with God. And it's not that God's showing off through Scripture. What he's doing is he's helping us know over and over again that he's capable of anything. Nothing's impossible with him. And we need that because he tells us things that are hard to, to understand, that are hard to believe. Right? He, he tells us that he's going to make this whole mess right someday. He, he tells us that, that we can be forgiven of sin. He tells us that, that, there, that, that the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more sadness, no more pain, right? that, that we'll dwell with the Lord forever. We need to know that nothing's impossible with him because those things sound impossible. We need to know that, that it's true that he will bring justice, that every day one thing will be right. So Gabriel tells Mary functionally how it'll happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon her and she'll conceive. But then he says nothing is impossible with God, that God, he's working all of the time to bring about what is good, to execute his plan. And we might not be able to see that, but we can trust that God is good and that nothing is impossible with him. And, and so, so maybe we say something like, but God, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills this month. Nothing is impossible with God. Or God, I don't, I don't know how to parent this kid that you've trusted me with. Nothing is impossible with God. Or God, I'm not strong enough to deal with this, this circumstance in my life. Nothing is impossible with God. Or God, I cannot imagine I'm going to live another day without my loved one. Nothing is impossible with God. Or we say, but God, you don't understand. My marriage is in shambles. I can't fix it. I keep trying. Nothing is impossible with God. Oh, but God, I don't know how to tell that person about you, Jesus. They want nothing to do with you. Nothing is impossible with God. But God, I don't have the strength to give this up. I've been addicted to this for decades. Nothing is impossible with God. But God, I can't handle this diagnosis. Nothing is impossible with God. I hope that you're equipped with that this week, that nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response is absolutely remarkable. Right? This is maturity. This is faith. No matter the age here, the way she responds, she hears that God is going to do what is impossible for anyone else, that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her that she would carry the Messiah that her people had been waiting for what must have seemed like forever. I would imagine 
that she would at some point had to think, what am I going to tell Joseph? How am I going to explain this? And I wonder if she just heard echoed in her head, nothing is impossible with God. She didn't respond to the angel by saying like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not, I'm not so sure about having a baby yet, right? This is my body. I don't know about that one. She didn't say, thank you for your explanation. I have some more clarifying questions. She didn't say, let me pray about this, which can be the Christian way of stalling, right? No, she said, I'm the servant of the Lord. You're my master. The Lord's my master. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to go where he wants me to go. She says, let it be according to your word or have your way in my life. Here's, here's my life, Lord. It's yours. Do what you want with me, whatever you want. And then Gabriel left. And soon after, the Holy Spirit did exactly what Gabriel said would happen, uniting, uniting Jesus with humanity in the womb of Mary. And, and I've just been thinking for weeks now about what that must have been like for her to have the Christ in her womb, to, to know that, that her body was giving Jesus the nutrients that he needed as he grew and developed. The changes in her body were because the Lord, the Messiah, was in her. And at some point, we talked about this last week a little bit, at some point she could feel baby Jesus moving in her. That relationship, it's mind-boggling to me what that must have been like for Mary. But what's even more amazing to me, as special as that relationship was, as she carried him through pregnancy, is that our union with Christ is even closer. That by faith in him, the one who defeated sin, we can be one with Jesus. That scripture tells us uh, that if you've, if you've accepted him as your Lord, if you've received him as Lord, that, that he's in you and you're in him. Uh, a closer union than, than Mary as she carried the Savior. It's amazing that 2,000 years after his birth, we can know Christ, that we can be united with him in a way that is so close and real that nothing can separate us from him and him from us. So the question is, have you, have you trusted in Jesus as Lord? And are you looking forward to the return of the Lord as we celebrate Christmas? Do we remember not just that he came, but that he's coming back and that we have much to be joyful for? Let me pray. Jesus, we, uh, we love you. Lord, uh, I do have just been marveling at your word this week um, to think about the, the lengths that you went to so that we could know you, Christ. You... You've done everything. You've, you've, you've made everything possible so that we could be made right. And Lord, I, I just pray that our hearts would be yours, God. Um, or for, for those of us that have been doing this, this church thing for a long, long time, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just pay you lip service. And if we're doing that, God, would you open our eyes to that? Or would we be like Mary? 
would we, would we confess that we were your servants, Lord? Well, we'll do whatever you want with us. Jesus, we, we love you. and It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.